Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Wondering where to start? Do you have questions about mortgage and real estate and need honest, accurate answers? Well, you're in the right place. Welcome to The Educated Home Buyer with expert real estate broker, Jeb Smith, and certified mortgage consultant, Josh Lewis, where we discuss everything you need to know to buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership. Welcome back to the Educated Home Buyer Live. Our goal here is to help you buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership and financing. That's not an empty seat. That is Josh Lewis filling in, a resident mortgage specialist here. Josh, welcome to the show. I decided I was going to leave. I heard I heard you end the music, and I said, I've had enough of this show. I'm out of here. Well, that's fair. Um, you know, like a lot of other people might do this evening, but uh, the title of the 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 video, um, the show tonight is is you know, housing market will correct by thirty percent in twenty twenty three, and the reason for that is because, quite frankly, I'm hearing that comment. Thirty percent seems to be the number that people have pinpointed for one reason or another across all media platforms, saying that's the number that housing is going to correct by. So we're going to dive into that, you know, in more detail tonight, and through some some questions, answering questions. Before we get started, though, we're going to talk about this week, right? We've seen some a lot of changes. Um, quite frankly, I think I'm I'm wondering what the hell is going on here. Uh, but we had CPI. We had CPI come in higher than expected. Uh, we've talked about volatility in the market. We've talked about unknowns in the market and how that creates volatility when things don't go according to plan. And essentially, that's what happened this week, right? So analysts were ex- you know more or less expecting. Um, a number around 8.1%. Um, inflation came in at 8.3%. They expected core inflation to actually, I think, stay the same, maybe even improve a little bit. It went up. Um, so across the board, it was a disaster. And with that being said, we saw rates, what, jump a quarter percent in a day. Uh, you know, the 10 years up, rates are back at the highs again. Josh, let's talk about it. Well, let's go back um, last time we had this discussion, May into June, when, when rates were getting worse, we had some really hot CPI figures. Everyone in the world was convinced that uh, we were going to see um, taming inflation through the spring. And when it didn't happen, that June CPI report is where everything kind of jumped off. And from there, it was, it was a, a much bigger number than expectations. And where we missed this week and why we uh, are kind of back at the same point is you and I were, were going forward. There are some very good projections. There are people that understand everything that goes into the CPI calculation and they can get advanced reads on it and forecast it. Well, as of last week, they were well, saying, they were wrong. They were very wrong. Well, and actually not, not, not all that wrong. They were projecting a, a negative 0.1 read for last month and it ended up a positive 0.1. Well, a positive 0.1 read on inflation is a really good read because that would be 1.2% for the year. It's just, it was, it goes back to expectations. When you're expecting negative 0.1, positive 0.1 doesn't look so great. But most importantly, what you talked about, Jeb, is the core. No one really expected the core to increase. And why did it? Um, it's, it's because of two reasons. Food costs are up and housing costs are up. And we can dig into CPI and we could bore all of you guys with how they capture um, the, the cost of housing uh, within uh, the CPI. It probably understates the cost of housing for anyone going out and getting housing right now. If you need to rent a new apartment, a new house, or you need to buy a new house, it probably understates how high those payments are. But 
the reality and the difficulty of factoring that into something like the consumer price index for all consumers is that most people, you know, 60% of Americans own their homes and they're sitting tight with low mortgage rates. It doesn't matter that home values have gone up because they have a fixed payment. Um, for renters, if your lease is up or if your landlord decides, hey, I'm going to jack the rent, um, it's, it's sort of going to be a, a difficult situation for you. So Food prices should moderate. Um, rent increases will moderate as home prices moderate. Uh, there's a lack of supply there. We talk about supply and demand. So it's going to be interesting. Where we hit the next few months, um, I don't believe uh, September, I think it's October, November, and December were the really hot reads last year. So if we have tamer reads and the hot ones peel off, especially in light of the Fed acting very aggressively and indicating that they're going to do so at this next meeting next week and the meeting the the, the following month, they're probably going to overshoot. And we've talked well, about that. They're, they're well, stepping yeah. hard, hard on the brakes. No, un understood. But for anybody out there in the market at the moment, that doesn't provide any comfort, right? And, you know, Josh and I have these conversations and it's like sometimes we end the conversation going, like, what does that actually mean? Like, what does it mean if rates continue to go up? Yeah, it affects affordability, right? For sure. Um, yeah, it affects people on the market that have to sell. I mean, those homes where people have to, to do something, they have to adjust in order to get that property sold, right? Because if rates go up, it doesn't affect cash buyers, but the majority of people out there aren't cash, right? So they've got to be able to purchase and they're going to be hurt by higher rates. But for all of those pro people sitting in a property, not not having to do anything, wanting to do something, but, you know, comfortable where they are, you know, maybe it's not the perfect property, but it's one they're just sitting. It doesn't affect those people. And that's where I start to come. Like, I have no idea. I don't know what that means for housing because you need more supply come to come to the market because you got to have a willing seller and a willing buyer to make a transaction. You can't just have one. Um, otherwise it, it, it's not a deal. And so if no new homes come to the market, and, you know, we continue to see this stalemate, if you will. What does that mean for, for prices? What does that mean for, it definitely means less sales happening, right? So less transactions across the board. Who does that affect most? It affects realtors and mortgage professionals. Now I'm going to be fine. My income is going to suffer, but I'm not going to lose my house. I'm not going to lose my business. I, you know, I've got other things going on, which is nice, but there are people that are going to be affected. And that's, I guess, the unknown, Josh, that you and I talk about. It's like, we don't have an answer for that at the moment. Well, we did an episode of the podcast talking about the 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 sort of phrase of the moment from a week or two ago, the housing recession, the the housing industry. So realtors, builders, contractors, mortgage people. There's absolutely a recession going on in our industry. Anyone that tells you there isn't would be would be naive. Um, and there are people who want to believe that that correlates to a house price crash. And, you know, one of the, the best articles that you and I saw this week, we've talked about a guy uh, that writes for the chief economist for Housing Wire, Logan Mo, Mohatashami. I think we got that right. Yep. He and and he was talking about I forget what uh, phrase he gave it, but basically sellers being locked into their homes. And he said, I've never bought into this hypothesis before. And that's because for 40 years, you might have a year or so of higher rates, but then they would continue that downward trend. So we never had an extended period of time with this degree of, of ultra high rates. And I say ultra high rates, a 7% rate is not an ultra high rate um, in general, relative to a two and a half or 3% rate, it's an ultra high rate. So when we, when we look at that, um, 
home prices, uh, you know, a couple of things we, we've talked about here on the show. The average homeowner has 42% loan to value on their home, meaning 58% equity in their home across the country. That's not a person at risk of losing their home. And if that person owns the home and they owe 42% against it, what do you think their payment looks like relative to renting an equivalent property? What does it look like relative to renting an apartment? It's probably less than apartment rent. So in theory, if someone really thought they knew and they were incredibly confident, they could sell their house, go rent a house or an apartment for a couple of years, put their money on the sidelines and buy in at this mythical 30% lower price point. But we're not seeing that. Um, you know, we here on the show every week, everyone's asking, hey, listings are up. Hey, listings are up. There's more homes for sale in my area. Well, now we're heading into a seasonal period when we expect them to be down, but they're down much more than would be expected. And we talked about this, Jeb, last week where... I feel like we, we had an additional amount of, of homes coming on the market above and beyond what would normally be expected as the sellers that really wanted to sell started seeing their window close and, and put their homes on the market real quick. And now, basically, all of the people who, who were interested in selling and thought they had that window got out. There's just not a, a real compelling case for a homeowner with the uncertainty going on and rates where they are right now to sell their home. There has to be a really driving force like we've talked about before, job move, death, divorce, illness, uh, bankruptcy, any number of things that can cause that. But there's got to be a pretty compelling case to sell your home right now. No, I mean, perfect example. Just got a listing today. It's a big listing, four and a half million dollars here in Sunset Beach. Guess what? Someone passed away. It's an inheritance. It's they're going to sell the property. Why? They need to. Otherwise, there would be somebody living in the property. They've owned that property for a long period of time. They're, they probably wouldn't have put it on the market now, but the estate, you know, it's it's there and they're going to be selling the property. So you're always going to have sales and transactions and, and deals, you know, happen regardless. And sometimes these properties are going to sit, right? You're going into a slow time of the year, especially a price point like that. The average days on market's like 202 days just to sell that property. So, you know, what I don't want, people to think is, hey, listen, all of this is happening. This is is completely abnormal. It's it is abnormal, but it's not unheard of. I mean, it's unheard of compared to the last two years because everything was completely different, right? We're getting back to more of seasonality, more of the slowing, all of that stuff. And with that said, inventory has peaked. We talked about this a month and a half ago. I told you inventory was peaking because I was out there looking at, at property. I do it every week with you guys. And we talk about the numbers. And every week I give you the numbers. And for a couple of weeks, we kind of went sideways. And then we started seeing a downtrend. Every single week on this show, every Wednesday, I give you guys the numbers. Here in Orange County today, 3,609 properties. Just, I don't know, what's it, a month? Just over a month and a half ago, we were at 4,300 homes. Now, granted, we're coming off starting the year at 985 or something, something along those lines. So we've gone up considerably, but we've we've peaked in inventory. So inventory is going to continue to come down through the end of the year. And with rates where they are, demand is also going to come down, which in turn just basically means you see less transactions. But at the same time, here's, I had a conversation today, um, somebody in the mortgage business. Um, they, they are in San Diego. They're wanting to buy a home here in Orange County. They reached out to me to buy a house. And I said, why? Why, why are you considering buying a house now? I just want to know. Life of it. They're getting married. They're moving in together. They want to own a home. Great. I mean, that's why people buy houses, right? It's not about, hey, listen, I'm 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 trying to buy a house because I think this is the bottom or the top or whatever. It's it's all about is it right for you? Does the payment make sense? Do you have money in the bank? All of that good stuff. So 
Josh, with that said, um, questions or anything we want to jump into? I would just follow up with, I got an inquiry right before we came on the show here from a gentleman here wants to buy in Huntington Beach, found our Google reviews, reached out. And for him, they sold a house uh, last year in Seattle. He works for Boeing in Seattle. Now he works for Boeing here in Huntington Beach. And he wants to own a house. The smart man, obviously engineer works for Boeing. It's not, he's not guessing uh, what's going to happen next. Um, he's got 20% to put down. He made a bunch of money on his house in Seattle and he wants to own a home. So, um, everybody's different it's a different market everyone has to come to their own conclusions of where they're at and we're in a, a funny hazy spot uh, of of where where the market is and we'll be here every week analyzing reviewing the news and seeing what we think comes next no good stuff so with that said let's dive into some questions here and get started with the the reason why you're here but before we do that take some time and let us know where you're watching from a city a state whatever it is would love to know where you're watching the show from, um, again, gives us a good idea of, of viewership. And um, yeah, we, you know, love, love, love to see it. So um, especially when it's coming across the country there. So Josh, with that said, where does someone go? Where does a consumer, just a buyer go if they're looking to keep an eye on mortgage rates? Is there a, is there a site out there that accurately shows it? Um, and if so, what is it? And then what's a better recommendation if somebody's looking at rates, if there is one? So there's there's a couple of, of good ones out there. And of course, I'm going to draw a blank on this. But Optimal Blue has the Optimal Blue Mortgage Market Index. Optimal Blue is a tool that lenders across the country, about 65, 70% of lenders use internally to distribute pricing and manage rate locks. So they are getting the data in real time of what lenders are actually locking rates at. Our awesome moderator here, Jennifer Lego who's in Indiana right now, Jeb, yep. lives in Indiana. She uh, she had commented, check out Bankraid or NerdWallet. You have to realize with any of those tools, those are lead gen tools. And if you're looking at a rate table, um, if a lender's rate today is 6% and every other lender's rate is 6%, would you pay to advertise in a rate table thinking that being in the middle of that pack, you're gonna get anything? You wouldn't. So what you have is different ways of manipulating the rate, the APR, the terms, the fees. So I would be very, very careful of anything that is advertising generated. They are the home of call centers where you're going to talk to a person who isn't very experienced and they also manipulate those tables to get the top ranking, to get the most inquiries. So Optimal Blue Mortgage Market Index, um, you can watch the Freddie Mac Primary Mortgage Market Survey comes out every Thursday. That's a little bit problematic because what Freddie Mac does, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Jeb, don't they call on Monday? They call they around do. lenders and ask what they're, they're Every quoting. Monday. And then they have up to Thursday, I think, to report. Yeah. So it's, it's out of date and it relies on someone honestly and accurately reporting what that data is. But it gives you an idea. Um, we look back when, when we're looking at a chart to say, hey, what were rates like in February of 1982? that is a very good place to look at. But um, OptoBlue, I believe it's National National Mortgage News. What, what is it Mortgage News yeah. Daily? Yeah. One of them, Mortgage News Daily, also aggregates data from around the industry, and it's not advertiser-driven, where someone is trying to lie to manipulate that. They're actually going out and getting quotes and, and aggregating them in a table for you. Um, but you know, one of the easiest things to do is when you are ready to go and pull the trigger, that's great ahead of time for you to kind of follow the market and see where it's at and what's happening week to week. When you're ready to actually get pre-approved or step into the market, 
call a couple lenders and actually go through the process. Um, if you call and say, hey, what's your rate today? You are not going to get accurate information. There's over 40 factors that go into an accurate rate quote, and you may or may not know all of those. So the best thing to do is to complete the application process, get a credit report, a mortgage credit report, know exactly where your scores are, and have one to three lenders in a the same time frame, same afternoon, same morning, quote you those interest rates. And most importantly, they should all be in a fairly narrow range. That should not be the deciding factor. You should find the best lender who hears and understands you, who has the best knowledge and expertise that you can judge, who is in that competitive range of pricing rather now, than the absolute lowest. Now, Josh, when you say that, there's a lot of people out there going, dude, I'm not buying a house right now. Rates are stupid. Prices are stupid. Like, so with that being said, now there are people still buying, so let's not, you know, beat around that. But if I were considering buying, but I, I just, I don't think right now is the right time for me for whatever reason. How soon am I having that conversation with the lender? Am I having it now with rates this high or am I waiting and thinking, okay, when rates come back down, that's when I'm going to have the conversation. What, what do you I recommend? So I, I hosted a live with three loan officers from around the country last night, um, focused on VA loans. We're talking specifically about VA loans and that pre-approval process. And I asked this question, because you guys know my answer, if you've been here more than once, my answer is it's never too early to have that conversation. And all of us felt the same thing for the same reasons. I had a lady, um, I believe actually from the show, she reached out, uh, filled out a form online. We get connected and I reach out and she says, hey, I'm sorry, I, I pushed the button too soon. I'm, I need to do more research before I'm ready to talk. I said, okay, I certainly understand the apprehension. There's a lot of yahoos out there that would give you the wrong information or try and sell you, but there, there's no world in which a consumer with Google can educate themselves in the way that we can in a 30 minute conversation. Um, my, my job is not to sell you on buying a house right now. My job is to tell you, here's what it looks like right now. Here's what is good about your file, what's bad about your file, what we can optimize, whether it's six, 12, 24 months from now that you're gonna buy. That's what we're looking at in that call. And, and if, you, if you get into that process, the pre-approval process with someone or even just an initial call and you feel like it's selling you on, hey, you need to buy a home or buy a home now or there's any pressure or it's just transactional asking you questions to get you a rate quote, it shouldn't be that way. All of us on that call last night, again, four loan officers, I said, where do you start when someone says they wanna get pre-approved? And everyone said, it's a conversation. And that conversation is asking them questions and letting them tell me what they want. And I don't mean I want a three bedroom, two bath house in Anaheim. I mean, well, this is what we're looking for. This is where our family's at. Here's how long we hope to be here. Here's where we've lived for the last few years. Here's where we are financially. We have student loans we wanna pay off. If someone doesn't start with that question, trying to learn about you, where you've been, where you are today and where you want to go. And they're just trying to get the information to fill out a loan application. You're talking to the wrong person. Good stuff. So with that said, a moment ago, I asked earlier about um, where you guys are located. Um, I want to pull up this map because I did it last week. I thought it was kind of cool and show you where people are watching from. So I think it's kind of interesting, Josh, when you look at this, there's like, there's pockets, bro. Clusters. It's like, yeah, like big clusters. Like you got, you know, five or so here in in SoCal, right? And you got Bakersfield or whatever. But then you start to zoom out. It's like there's literally no one. Does no one own property or looking to buy property in the middle of the country here? What's going on? We're uh, unpopular in the flyover states. Yeah, I guess, you know, you got uh, some people here in Florida. South Florida's out. Nobody in the Northeast. 
North Carolina. We had one um, from Facebook comment in North Carolina. That was from my hometown. I wanted to see that one show up just so I could say, look, look at that. Uh, but literally nothing else, man. That's not, uh, no I, one I find from it your home state. Not even your family tunes into this. Not on YouTube. I don't even think they know I have a YouTube. They don't, they don't even know what YouTube do, is. Do they know what YouTube is? Do they have a computer? Do they have indoor <laughs> plumbing in Kinston is what I want I'm to not sure. I think they're still on dial-up. So it's interesting. It's hard to, to stream video um, on dial-up. Uh, but anyway, that's uh, that's where we're at. Um, if people continue to comment uh, where they're from, I'll add it on there. We got a Louisiana that just popped in. We got some some more share in there. So good stuff. All right. So a couple more questions here. Uh, let's see. We addressed that one. Um, a couple comments on mortgage payments that I think are interesting. Uh, Bandit says, my mortgage payment is lower than a one-bedroom apartment where I live right now. No way in hell I'm selling in the near future. I will sit and wait to see how this thing plays out. I think that's, I mean, what I feel like most people are going to, how they're going to react to this sort of thing. Again, flash a light. My 15-year mortgage payment from 2021 is exactly the same as a 30-year fixed mortgage payment today. So this guy's going to pay his loan off or her, not sure. In, in half the amount of time with the same payment just from, from a year ago, just uh, based on where rates are. So good stuff. And the only thing that Dan has made sense of this whole evening and commenting <laughs> is that both of these guys are pros. Everything else, Dan, you said uh, is inaccurate. So we're Dan not going to, com- we're not going to comment day, on any Dan of that. Was day stuff, drinking. Right? Yeah. He day drinks daily. He's uh he's just an animal. Um, but anyway, we're not going to comment on that stuff. Uh, Anya says, why, why did down payment method change to wire from official checks? Some get scammed. So I think it's, you know, so what she's asking here is when you put a down payment on a property, how, why, why is it a wire? Why can't you just bring in a personal check or, or whatever to close for one, a wire is, is, is a trusting, like it's coming from bank to bank. So there's FDIC involved. There's two entities, you know, the money is there when it comes to your account, it's, it's coming from another federally insured uh, bank for one. Um, secondly, speed. It, it, it happens instantaneously. When a wire goes out, typically it hits the same day if it's done before a, a, a certain time. And there's a tracking number involved and there are certain measures in place. Now, with the flip side of that, you do have fraud getting involved and people hacking people's accounts and saying that they are, you know, an escrow company. And here's the wiring instructions have changed, send the money to this account and what have you. So you have scammers in every industry, right? So it's not, you know, the, the real estate industry isn't elusive, um, you know, in, 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 in this type of scam, but it, it's a little bit more prevalent now just because, there, there's so many people wiring money and they want to do it quickly and they just don't want any hiccups and they don't check, you know, well, the, dot think, the I's across the T's. Think about what's the most common situation when an average person is going to send a large wire. It's nine times out of 10, it's going to be a, a home transaction. And when this stuff first came up four or five years ago, when the escrow company started saying, please call and confirm our account information before you send your wire. I was a little like, this is crazy. I mean, this can't literally be happening, but I've talked to at least three different people, either realtors or lenders that I know around the country who have been involved in really big thefts through wire, like four or $500,000. One of them was lucky enough. They caught it quick enough that they got it reversed. But for the most part, once that money's gone, if it's gone to a foreign bank, it is gone. So um, wires have their own sort of, you know, issues, but uh, on your, your question was pretty much dead on some type of fraud. 
Yes. So even with a cashier's check or an official check, people were basically making fraudulent checks. So escrows got to the point where they will take them, but they're going to say, hey, I want it and I yeah, want it cleared it. from right. the bank before we're going to close. So imagine you're buying a, an $800,000 house and your down payment's $200,000. They're not going to say, okay, so there's a $198,000 check. Let's just close on it and hope that it's good. They're going right. to say, cool, no worries. We'll get back to you in two or three days once it's cleared your bank and we have the funds in our account. So so for that reason, Jeb, don't you realtors, you're like, no, well, we're, we're not slowing the transaction for your preference for paper. We're going to wire. Yeah. I mean, and it comes down to, I mean, like it's a, it's an emotional thing, right? So when you come to close on a property, you're like excited or you, maybe you're frustrated because you're pissed off that something didn't happen with your lender because Josh dropped. No, no. And in, in all reality, it's there's a lot going on. So, and at the end, there's a lot when you go into escrow and there's a lot at the end of the escrow, the middle period of an escrow is typically a pretty slow period for buyers, you know, because there's not a lot happening outside of you doing an inspection and some negotiations. It's kind of a, a lull in the process. At the end, there's a lot going on. Paperwork's being signed, docs being signed. You're excited to close. And so somebody sends you a document changing things. You just think, oh, that's part of the process. Don't, don't, you know, just going to do what they say. And then all of a sudden you're out, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars. And it does happen. I've been in an office where the guy I shared an office with, this was some time ago, his clients uh, wired like $800,000 and it was gone instantly. Fortunately, it was with a big bank. I think it was Wells Fargo or Bank of America. One of those guys was involved. They backed the money for the client. The The FBI got involved. There was a lot going on. Um, and I think it all got worked out some way. But what happens is that money gets wired, hits an account. And as soon as it hits the other account, it gets wired again. And so it just makes its way out to unknown places, so on and so forth. So yes, there's fraud. As long as you do your homework, you're fine. Um, but never wire money without checking, calling people, verifying, again, taking a little bit more time, being a little bit more patient and making sure that you're not um, not getting taken advantage of. So with that Jeb, being said, yep. Jeb, did, did you just say that the wire goes out to parts unknown, like Hacksaw Jim Duggan, your, your wire is out there from, from parts unknown. Did, is that a Jim Duggan? People they don't even, I bet you people here don't even know who Jim Duggan is. Hacksaw Jim Duggan was the greatest. Who, yes. And if you know <laughs> who Hacksaw Jim Duggan is type yes in the, in the chat. If you don't, then type no, it'd be interesting. And then type your age. That'd be interesting to know too. Um, let's see here. Uh, Jeff, Jeff's trying got? to turn this YouTube live into Tinder here. Be careful, folks. Be careful. <laughs> I want to know where you're from and your age so I can use this map that I have here to set people up successfully. Two people that want to own a home that can't afford one individually. We're going to pair you guys up. You become a couple. Now you have enough money for home ownership. This is great, Josh. I, this is an app. I think I should sell something like this. All right. Let's see. What, what other questions do we got? Um, it's, you're, you're doing a mashup there, Jeb, of house hacking and online dating. I like it. I think there's a future. You like it. where this is going? Uh, yeah. So, Mar Marilyn, Marilyn, um, I just recently worked with two lenders. Realized I wasn't ready, but neither of them guided me. It was a very, how much do you make? What's your credit score? This is what we'll give you. So, Josh... Is that how the conversation typically goes if, if the buyer doesn't ask any questions or, and I, I don't want you to do anything differently than, I mean, if somebody just calls you up and has that conversation, is that essentially how the conversation goes or is it, well, here, let, let's, uh, we don't have a ton of questions yet. So a, a little role play, someone, you, you refer someone over and I call them up and I say, 
Hey, Hi, Riley. my name is Dan. The housing market my is name, going to crash. My name's Dan. Dan I get alone. Crash. I, I said, hi, Marilyn. I, I got your information from Jeb. You guys met at an open house. Looks like you're interested in buying a home. Why don't you tell me a little bit about what you're looking to accomplish? That allows you to start talking and go any direction. You know, some people will start talking about their income. Some people will start talking about their savings. Most people jump into what house they're interested in. But it really should be open-ended questions because a lot of the, the robot question, how much do you make? How long have you lived there? What's your credit score? will come out in the conversation where it's really conversational. I just grab the notepad and let you talk. And if the conversation isn't like that, it probably is a call center-ish salesperson environment versus an advisor. Like we've talked a million times on the show here. It's not just an 80-20 industry where 80% of the people you would not want your mother getting a loan from. It's really 80-20 of that top 20%. So you got about four or 5% that are really true pros. That next 15, 16%, they'll do a good job. It'll be okay. They're not going to drop the ball. 80% of the people in our industry, and I'll throw realtors under the bus on this. Also, realtors, mortgage people, they're very low barriers to entry, potentially large commissions, although most people never get them because they aren't good enough to get there. But, you know, I, I go and I talk to friends of mine that do loans in Iowa, and their average loan amount is $180,000, and they have to do 14 loans a month to make a good living. And you know that's someone that's committed to the mortgage industry and likes helping people. We have people in Southern California that do a loan or two a month and with an 800,000 average loan amount, you can make a living doing that. And the same thing on the real estate side, you look at Jeb, what's the average number of transactions a, a realtor does in a year? I don't know the average number of transactions, um, but I think the average commission is like prior to, I don't know what the most recent survey is from, from National Association of Realtors, but it's like $40,000. Um, so depending on what market they're in, um, California, that could be two deals, um, could be one deal depending on what they sell. And, but the reason it's $40,000 is because out of the 1.5 million practicing agents or, or people that are actively doing business, the majority of them aren't doing anything. And then there's a lot of people, I would say probably 10% doing 90% of the business out there. Um, so the numbers are skewed in what the, the average person makes because of that. But I would say exactly like you said, the, the barrier to entry is low. Uh, the, the experts, the pros are are few and far between. Now here in SoCal, I would say you have a lot of good options. There's a lot of good real estate agents here in Huntington Beach where I am that I would say, hey, listen, that's a great agent. Same thing with mortgage professionals. Josh isn't the only great agent or great mortgage guy. There's a lot Come of great on. people I know. Come on. Just, just so happens, you know, Josh is is just has a face for uh for audio and that's why i put him on the, for for i put him on on the podcast and he just kind of blended in here on 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 the, the video as well so it, it just kind of it just happened by accident but no anyway. and again so what jeb said is 100 correct when i say 80 20 or even 96 4 if we said only four percent of people in california that do real estate or mortgage are worth dealing with there's enough of us that you will find a good one in your town and i guess the, the last thing i'd want to leave you with i don't want to give the impression that only doing a volume of business is the only thing that matters um it, it's a measure but you want to look at reviews you want to see how you got to them you and you want to rely on like marilene what, what was your feeling when you talked to the person? Did, did you feel heard? That's one of the most important things. Like for myself and my team, one of the things that I always talk about is whenever we give someone news, we want to tell them, this is what happened. 
this is what that means and this is what comes next because you guys don't do this all the time we do it day in day out and we throw around dti ltv all these crazy things and if you talk to a client like that they don't feel heard or understood so it's up to us to slow down explain what everything is what comes next and what you should expect and the last thing jed the, the last last thing I will hear on these questions all the time. People say, ah, oh, this is a really dumb question, or this is the first time I've done this, so I'm sorry if I ask stupid questions. The only stupid question is the one that you don't ask that bites you later because you were afraid that someone was going to think less of you for asking it. No, good stuff. And meanwhile, while all of this is happening, Jay, Jay is too busy in the chat to, to pay attention because he's trying to get Marilyn's attention basically saying that she's cute. And then he goes on, he's asking her if she's single. And then, you know, he's, he's, he's making some, some progress, I think in the chat here. So hey, my, my whole thing is working out your plan. Uh, my we have plan a new is, business model. We're, yeah. we're going to be done with, with YouTube soon. We're moving to our app house hacking singles. Yeah. And Maddie just showed up and Matt, listen to my plan here. You, you've been a, a viewer for a while. I think we're going to start pairing people up in the chat that are single. Maybe even you're married. We're still going to get you paired up. It's This is a whole new thing. Wife swap, whatever you want to do. If you're in Utah, Somebody that makes in more Utah. income, you know, maybe it, you can, can buy together and maybe afford the house that you want. So maybe you can't afford the house that you want right now because rates are higher. But if we pair you up with someone else in the chat, two incomes, maybe even four incomes, if you're already both married, you guys get the house you want. Seems like a great decision. So- uh yeah Jeb, i think we're we're on the Jeb, right track we yep. have some very these are not questions unfortunately but we have some great great comments socrates socrates is from zimbabwe and he knows who jacksaw they know who hacksaw jim duggan is and yes. wants to know who didn't watch him back in the day yeah so for those of you you don't need to google him if you haven't already he was a wwe at the time wrestler the greatest that wrestler was in e. it was before it was no wwf it was f, it was f wwf back in the day yeah. wrestling for anybody asking. And then it became the World Wildlife Federation or something and then they couldn't they yeah. couldn't use it anymore. All right. Anyway, let's uh let's hold, let's hold move on. Along. Hold on. No, yeah, what we got another we got another comment here. Kel says that they own and the dating pool is terrible for a 45-year-old female in DFW. I tell you my so my my plan maybe the here house is hacking out. dating is not going to come together. That I, you know, I don't know. We're going to see because we're going to keep putting it to work. All right. Um let's see. Good question. Lola says, how do you get a seller to realize his home is overpriced? So here's the thing. It's very difficult. This is not an easy answer. This is not one where you can just rattle off something and it's going to work with every person. There's got to be motivation. Okay. So one thing when I meet with clients to list properties, we always talk about why. Why are you selling your property? And we're doing that for a couple of reasons. One, it's because I want to know, like, what's your motivation to sell a property? It helps me to know the motivation because sometimes there's timelines involved. Sometimes there's certain things that, that need to take place that we need to meet in order to, to make things happen on time. Sometimes it goes into the pricing strategy, right? If they say, hey, listen, my motivation is because I got a, a house closing next week and this thing's got, we know, right? So always ask why. But another reason we ask as 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 salesmen, saleswomen, salespeople is to remind those people later in the process, right? So when things aren't moving and they're getting cold feet and or they're not budging, you remind somebody of why they're doing it. So I thought you said you wanted to sell because 
you had a house closing or I thought you sell because you wanted to get closer to your grandkids and whatever, right? It's, it's all about figuring out that why. So part of you as a buyer is, is trying to figure out that motivation that the seller has and trying to play into it. Now, I just did a video on it where I talked about the things that I would look for um, in, in doing that. Josh and I recorded a podcast today that's going to drop next week where we talk about it in even more detail about these things. But there's not really an easy answer. It's it's trying to find find out why they're selling. Um, but a lot of people out there at the moment, if I'm honest, aren't serious sellers. There are people that truly aren't serious sellers. And you think, Jeb, that's dumb. Their house is on the market. Of course they're serious. No, that doesn't mean that at all. Some people out there are still testing the waters to see if they can get the price that they that that maybe the height of the market, that peak price. And if they don't get it, they're not selling and they're not going to reduce their price. And they know more than everybody out there. And their house is this. I've I've dealt with those people. They there's no budging, right? But on the flip side, there are also people that understand the market. There are people out there that are fearful of what's going on in the market and will sell at a discount just to get out so that they don't have to experience that sort of thing. So again, it all comes down to motivation and figuring that out and using comps, comparables, what's going on in the market to help back your decision. Uh, but unless, you know, it, a lot of it comes down, unless you're working directly with that listing agent as a buyer, a little bit more difficult to do as a buyer, but a lot of times it can come from your agent or trying to to have that conversation, but you can't make somebody usually, um, you can't talk sense into somebody that, that, that isn't rational in, in situations like this. So, um, yeah, that's that's all I got to say. Yeah, Jeb, the, the crazy thing about it, the paradox is the ones that people are looking, oh, that house is overpriced. I'm going to go make them a lowball offer. Those are the crazy people that aren't interested in selling. If you see a price that doesn't look reasonable, it's a neighborhood that sells for six fifty, and they're at seven twenty five, and it's been there for sixty days. That's probably the crazy person. You know, the comparison I made on on the podcast today is ten years ago when Zillow first came out, twelve fifteen years, they had a thing make me move. So you could post your house and claim that's my house and say if you'll give me six hundred thousand dollars for my two hundred thousand dollar house, I'll move. And you would see crazy stuff like that. It was not common that someone in a $200,000 neighborhood would say, give me 205 and I'll move. It was always an insane number. So this is just people now have to put a sign in their yard to do that. And there are people who are saying, okay, make me an offer, make me move. Yeah, no, good stuff. Um, let's see here. This is a question. It says, I'm not sure the, the sub two, is that subject two? Is, yep. is that what we're talking about here? Yep. Uh, with a lot of uncertainty and a lot of people getting caught up in the hassle of forbearance, now going into foreclosure, um, are you seeing and hearing a lot of subject to creative financing wraparound mortgages, blah, blah, blah. So I'm actually, I'll, I'll go back to the first part of that question. I'm not hearing anybody that was caught up in forbearance that resulted in foreclosure, quite frankly. Um, if you look at the, the data from Black Knight, most of those, uh, you know, any foreclosures happening at the moment, I would, I don't know what the actual percentage is, but it's really, really high. Like in the nineties, most of those people were, were, uh, behind on their payments prior to the pandemic. These aren't people that have come out of the pandemic and are behind. So most of the foreclosures happening at the moment are properties that were already, uh, in distress prior to the pandemic. And they just rode the pandemic. They got basically a free year, two and a half year ride, almost three year ride, uh, because the pandemic put all those moratoriums in place. So and forbearance, forbearance was really, really forgiving. Um, I mean, we saw people, I mean, we had people on the show, people reach out to me where the the lender actually reduced 
the principal balance on their first mortgage, reduced the interest rate to make it work, and then added that reduction back with the partial claim to the back to be uh, basically a silent second. I mean, it's it's crazy what the banks were doing to keep these people and property. So with that and all the equity that's gained, I'm not seeing really any of that. Josh, anything you want to add on that? No, same thing on that first part of the question. Um, but look at it this way. Those that are having trouble and didn't take advantage of the very, very uh, forgiving assistance um, that most lenders were were giving through that process or didn't come out and refi, we refied a ton of people out of forbearance into lower interest rates and paying back what they, they missed. I mean, people who had no hardship that basically took a six-month vacation from their mortgage um, and then were able to, to pay it off with a rate and term loan, essentially getting a cash out loan without paying for it. So um, almost everyone that I talk to or see has been caught up. We did see numbers this week that homes in uh, that are seriously delinquent uh, or, or zero to 30 days delinquent went up from 2.7 to 2.9%, still a very low historical number. So we're not really seeing um, even the delinquencies turn turn up. But the, the second question there, the the subject to and the creative financing and all of that stuff, flashback to when that stuff was really popular. It was the, the last time we had a really high run up in interest rates in 81, 82, late 70s. And think about what home prices looked like at that time. You know, you're talking in lots of areas, 25, 30, $40,000 homes. So a person could come in and maybe there was 10 or $15,000 equity in the home. And again, $15,000 was a ton of money in 1980 relative to what it is today, but it was fairly reasonable for someone to bring that in. Um, second mortgages were much more common where someone would take it subject to the, the first loan, put a second mortgage behind it and take care of it. The thing that you have to realize is, they believe it was 1986, 1987, um, the government passed law that allows lenders to put a due on sale clause in their loan. So basically all loans have a due on sale clause. It doesn't mean that you're breaking the law if you don't pay it off, but a second lender is very unlikely to go behind a first with a due on sale clause. So a million different reasons why subject to stuff isn't that popular unless someone's coming in with a big chunk of money, seeing how much equity even distressed sellers are sitting on in this market. Good stuff. A um, couple things I want to touch on real quick here that I think are good questions. Um, Kim's got a good question. Says, do you usually use all of the money for your down payment and closing costs? So um, I guess what she's asking is when you put money into escrow to pay these is use my understanding. What I'm getting out of this question is, is all that money used? Or are you getting some of that back, Josh? Um Kim, why don't you clarify exactly what you mean, but let's answer it the way that, that Jeb is saying. So what happens, people always love to ask this question. Hey, um, you gave me an estimate that says I need $23,487 to close. I made a $5,000 deposit. What happens to that? It's credited to your account in escrow or through closing. So there's a $5,000 credit there. Then you're going to get credited for the amount of your loan. And then there's still going to be a remainder, that 19,000 and change that you will need to bring in. So let's say the also at closing, let's say it is exactly that, $19,487. 
it's still an estimate once the loan docs are in and the the settlement agent or escrow officer has reviewed everything because they do not ever want to close their file short and have to track you down for money so they're going to pad everything there have you bring in twenty thousand dollars and then a couple of days after closing once everything records they'll balance out they'll have exact figures and they're going to refund you the difference good stuff um jason says i have a friend having trouble getting their their offer accepted using a VA loan, any help. So without knowing the details, what I can say is that the agent they're using and the mortgage professional they're using can make a huge difference in that offer getting accepted by being able to convey how a VA loan works and how well qualified these people are. Unfortunately, a lot of agents out there are misinformed of how VA loans work um and how long they take and the process with the appraisal and all of that there's just misconceptions and a lot of times a, a listing agent i mean i'm sorry a buyer's agent that's experienced in va and a lender that's experienced in va can debunk all of that stuff and help them understand that the guidelines are super flexible um and how you know well qualified these people are in the process so i would say tell them to lean on their agent and their lender to make that happen without knowing all the other details. Those are really the biggest things, especially when it comes to VA. So first of all, Jeb and I are getting like an old married couple because he started talking and it was my words coming out of his mouth. He can read my mind now, but oh boy, let me, let me give you an example of exactly what he talked about. I have a VA transaction going on right now. My agent submits the offer. We always follow up on the offer and, and deal with any questions that the listing agent has. So it's in an area that does not have high balance loans. It's an $840,000 purchase. He says to me, well, they're going to have to come in with the difference on this because VA will only go to X number in, in our area. And I said, well, no, actually, as of 2020 in the Blue Water Act, there is no loan limit for VA loans. So if you have full entitlement, you can borrow as much as a lender will give you. Most lenders will cap it at one and a half to two million. The VA will insure whatever a lender will lend. That was one piece of it. Same transaction. I get a text this morning from our agent, the Jeb, in this transaction that I work with. And he says, hey, I'm a little bit worried. I'm not in the comps i think that thing they're going to bring that appraisal in low what do we have to do to rebut it and i said in relation to jeb talking about the awesome flexibilities that you have with the va loan that most agents are not aware of a va appraiser cannot bring the appraisal in low without giving you warning ahead of time it's called tidewater so i get a text like two hours later from the appraiser saying i'm invoking tidewater on this you have 48 hours to give me any and all information that would help me arrive at the value that you guys have paid so the you might not, if you're not in the industry, you might not understand why that's beneficial. On a normal appraisal, the appraiser writes down and says, I think the house is worth $800,000, even though you're agreeing to pay $840,000. And we have to go back and rebut that appraiser and tell him, dude, you're wrong, and here's why you're wrong. VA said, no, we're going to have the appraiser reach out and say, I'm not seeing it. Can you help me see it? So now we're collaborating to try and get to the number. Doesn't guarantee it, but most of the times that I've had Tidewater invoked, we are able to get the value to come in. And even if it doesn't, if the appraiser still comes back and says you're short, the veteran can request a reconsideration of value from the VA. So those are just two little things on a transaction that I have right now. So if your friend is dealing with someone that doesn't do a lot of VA loans, doesn't know all the ins and outs of the VA loans, and can't sell an agent on why VA is awesome and the best loan for a seller to work with on that side, and the agent do exactly the same, that's most likely why they're having problems. This market in most areas is not so hot that VA should be having problems like it was a year or two ago. 
Good stuff. A um, couple things I want to click on here. So one, Brendan was here last week. Brendan Ella's Fun Adventures says, uh, basically, my house dropped. Uh, $40,000 was the comment um, in the last couple of months, I think the comment was. I don't. I missed the actual comment, I guess. Uh, but anyway, it says from 508 to 465. Okay, here's, I guess my first question is, where are you finding the information? Is it Zillow? Is it Redfin? Is it one of those guys? If it is, why are you even watching it, for one? Who cares? Um, unless you're planning on selling the house, who cares what your price did? But more importantly, those sites are, are wrong more often than they're right. Um, so what happens is when they pull comps, it's all AI doing work, right? So not a person back there that actually knows the area that's looking at the stuff, giving you value on what your house is worth. It is using an algorithm to figure out, you know, properties that have similar bedrooms and bathroom counts, you know, square footage in order to give you that as no indication of, of improvements on the inside location is somewhat questionable on this stuff. Cause one could be back into a freeway and all of that stuff. I'm not saying it hasn't, but I just say, take it with a grain of salt. And at the end of the day, why are you watching your value every day? Unless you have to sell your property, you're driving, you're going to drive yourself crazy, right? I mean, unless you've got a plan to do something with it, just sit back, make your mortgage payment and live your life in yeah. your fun adventures, right? Well, tell, tell them what happens to the, the Zestimate when you list a whole home for sale. Right. So I, I've actually done a video of this. I, I don't even know where it is at this point, but I, so oftentimes I'll look at Zillow, what Zillow's price is and not because I'm looking at to make my assessment of what a home is worth, but I just want to see what it is. And say, for example, Zillow says a house is worth a million bucks. Oh, here's a perfect example. I'm, I'm going to list a house uh, for four and a half million dollars here in the next couple of days in Sunset Beach. I can almost guarantee you if I went on and pulled the property up today, what that property is worth, it would tell me that it was probably worth three million. What it doesn't know is the view of this property. This property is on the sand in Sunset Beach. So as soon as I put that property on the market and I listed at my price, guess what's going to happen to that estimate? It's probably going to go all the way up to my price. Why? Because now Zillow thinks I know more as a listing agent than, than their system does, and they're going to update that price to reflect it. In fact, I'm going to go on tonight, and I'm going to copy what that price is, and when I list it, we'll do another comparison just so you can see exactly how inaccurate or accurate it is. Maybe it's right. I don't think it's going to be. So with that said, I hope that helps. Well, another another fun one, Jeb, that house I bought out in Orange last year, we paid $500,000 for it. It was obliterated, absolutely destroyed. And when we bought it, it was probably worth seven fifty dollars if it had been kept in really good shape. We put over $100,000 into it. The market's going nuts. It's probably worth nine fifty dollars now. It's in um, sort of an infill development. So there's 40 homes that are all very, very similar. It should have, Zillow Redfin should have very similar numbers. Zillow says mine has gone up to $600,000. If you click on every other property in that development, it says somewhere between 850 and a million dollars. And you're like, are you dumb? I mean, do you, do you think this is somehow a magic property in the middle of it when there was a model match that sold at 875 and yet it still thinks mine is, is 650. So don't, don't watch these things. Don't obsess over them. Um, I guess the last example I would give you with, I have a client who's looking at buying a property up in Idaho from the heirs of her boyfriend who unfortunately passed away. And they want the highest end of the range that you can find on Zillow or Redfin or Realtor.com. They wanted 375. So Zillow has it at 375. Redfin has it at 340. I look it up on Realtors Property Resource, which uses better non-public data. It says it's worth 275. And then I look it up on House Canary, which is another AVM, and House Canary has it at 405. So 
you tell me what, what the house is worth. No, good stuff. Good stuff. All right. I'm going to go through some quick questions here, try to get some of these things out of the way with some quick answers, and then we'll get to some more detailed logical thinker says in California, is there a maximum, um, that condos, townhomes can raise their HOA fees year to year lifetime ceiling. Not that I'm aware of. Um, there might be something in the CCNRs of that, that association where they've set a, a, a limit, you know, year to year. Uh, but I think most don't have anything like that that I'm aware of at least. Uh, so they can raise it to, to basically fit whatever their budget is. Um, you know, I, I, I've seen, I don't know what the highest I've seen. I've seen HOA dues go up 40, 50 bucks year over year. And some, um, you know, oftentimes what you see is assessments in a, you know, when, when they have to increase a lot, most of the time it's because they have a major project coming up or something going on and you, you'd see an assessment versus going up, but I'm not aware of any ceilings or any uh, limits in what they're able to raise. Uh, Josh, uh, let's see here. Uh, this is a good one for you. We talked about this earlier today. What's the highest interest rate you've had to quote recently? I think the one that I told you this morning, it was a low down condo. Um, and it came out at 6.875. So it wasn't a terrible credit score, but it what type of loan? 30 year fixed conventional 30 year fixed. Okay. Um, it was over a 700 credit score, but still where you're getting uh, some credit score hits, you're getting a condo hit, you were getting an LTV hit. So all of that, um, the, the zero point rate was up at 6.875. So just imagine if that borrower has a 680 credit score, it's going to be in the sevens. Um, so are those rates out there being quoted? Yeah, but we also looked at that and compare it for that same borrower. That that loan FHA was five and a half. So the spread between FHA and conventional is bigger than what we normally see. Usually I say when I have a husband and wife, credit score is over 700, putting at least 5% down, that the conventional will start to tip in their favor. But we usually see it's about a half percent higher on conventional loans versus FHA. That spreads a little bit bigger between the government and conventional now than it has been. Um, and you know, we'll get to we'll get to another question. There's a question about points here, Jeb, that sort of relates back to that, but we'll deal to, with it when we get to it. All right, good stuff on that one. Uh, Darren has a question, says my homeowner's insurance went from 970 to 1300 per year. Thinking of switching to another company. Can I switch companies anytime or do I have to wait until the policy expires? Anytime. Um, you'll have to pay for the new policy up front and then they'll reimburse you for, you know, the, uh, the discrepancy in the two or the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know the, what's the word I'm looking for. The time, which Pro, you haven't used it. Proration. Prorated. Yeah. The proration. There we go. Um, for the difference. So yeah, anytime you can search, call it, call a broker a lot like mortgages. There's brokers out there that broker insurance. Um, and they have access to a lot of the major companies. Now, the big guys, the state farms, those guys, they're independent. Uh, but the brokers usually have access to companies like Farmers and Mercury and all of these little guys that can get you a quote. So try that out and see if you can get something better. Uh, live your life, says Jeb. Can you tell me which areas have, have not gone down? Because in my area, they have not gone down. I'm in Folsom, a new development. Um, okay, Folsom hasn't gone down. Now, I, I don't know which areas haven't gone down, right? It, it's it, gone down is a relative term. I, I, I keep talking about this all the time. Um, you know, real estate's local. Are there markets that are seeing prices decline um, off the peak? Yes, I think a lot of markets are seeing prices decline off the peak in, in you know, the peak pricing that we saw back in, what, May? Um, but I think it's more, uh, the, the, are, am I seeing any huge declines in markets? I'm not personally. I haven't seen it. Uh, even though people are saying it, I've asked people and I'll ask you guys here, 
if you're in a market where you've seen prices crash, it, which you consider a crash, whatever that number is to you, I would ask, I would love, I honestly, I'm not, I'm not picking on anybody. I would love to see it because I want to be able to talk about it. I want to post it. I want to do a video on it. If you've seen a property that's crashed 20, 30% because people are telling me that provide me the property, provide me how you're getting to that number that's showing that it crashed, right? If you're comparing it to, um, you know, prices, uh, in, in January, yeah, it's going to be down, but it, you know, is it going to be 30% less? I don't see that happening, uh, but again, I, I want to see it. So if you see it, let me know. Josh, Lori, Lori Bauer says, with a quick claim deed, we talked about this last week, to an LLC. So if I quick claim my property, I take it from my individual name, put it in an LLC, has a lender, lender ever asked for a due on sale as long as no payments are missed? I think your answer was no, but could it happen? I think the answer is I would guarantee possible. that they have but it's so rare that I have never heard of it. There's really no no reason or benefit in it for them. The The hypothetical that we threw out last week is if you have a 2.5% interest rate and you transfer it over to an LLC and the lender says, hmm, we don't want any more 2.5% interest rate loans on our books, we're gonna call that one due. That's really the only scenario I could see why someone would call a performing loan. Lenders want those loans on their books. The servicing value of those loans is an asset, um, even when the loan at a lower rate may be worth less or would have to be discounted if it was sold because of the future cash flows. So uh, has it happened? I would say with certainty it has. It, does it happen frequently enough that it would likely ever happen to you? No, it's sort of like, do people get hit by lightning? Uh, yeah, thousands of times a year. I don't know anyone that's been hit by lightning. Good, st <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, Kim has a question, says, uh, in the OC, what is more available? Condos, townhomes, or single family? So while Josh was talking, I looked it up. So at the moment, there are 3,609 active listings in Orange County. 3.3 million people, 3,609 listings. That's down from last week. Earlier, I didn't mention the number, but we we're down week over week. Uh, 241 here in Huntington Beach. But out of those 3,609, 2,401 are single family homes. Now, now, part of them are attached single families, but they're they're single family homes. They're not condos or townhomes. So that makes what twelve hundred um, condos or townhomes. So there's double double the amount of single families versus townhomes and condos. And I'll tell you probably why um, condos and townhomes are typically less expensive, right? Fall more in the budget of people out there looking to buy homes. Single family homes tend to run higher in price. You got less people that can afford those. Therefore, the inventory on those is probably going to be a little bit higher because that inventory is building. So hopefully that's helpful. Uh, Josh, I had another good one here and I don't, uh, this is a good question. Uh, I don't want to deep dive into politics, but let's, let's talk about it for a sec because, you know, what, what does press, so this year is, uh, you know, obviously we're going to get start, you know, we're two years out, right. From, from, from election time starting to get a lot more um you know politic talk and that sort of thing you know is there is there a party that you know let's ask this if you think the party stays the same right democrats stay in what do you, do you think housing continues this way and what happens if it switches over does that does that have an impact in housing you think or is it all just rate and inflation driven at the moment and whatever 
it's not so you're 100 percent correct it's it's not the party of the president it's the party that's in power so right now the way it's split the the democrats are able to do what they want um and they don't understand economics so many of the things they're doing are highly inflationary so when you have inflation it's going to be hard for home prices to go up because we have high interest rates and low affordability um do republicans have some magic answer for that I don't know that they do. You know, my general theory is that presidents get way too much credit for uh, for when things go well and they get way too much blame for when things go poorly. They don't actually have that much power. Although our last three presidents have all decided that, what did they call it? Their executive uh, privilege that they just decide yeah, the that they're, yep. the executive orders, they're kings and can just decide. Um, but going back before they all started passing these executive orders, it has to go through um, Congress and, and the Senate and be passed. And now we've had all this fighting where it's one side takes one thing, uh, a direction for four years, and then it swings back the other way. Like we need to get back to a point where we're on an even keel. But I was, I'm very serious that we had like in early 2021, we had Democratic leaders saying, hey, we just gave away $5 trillion and there's no inflation. We can print as much money and give away as much money as we want. We've proven that. We need to pass this legislation now. And thank God that $4.5 trillion Build Back Better bill didn't get passed because if it did, we would be in big, big trouble right now above and beyond where we are inflation-wise. So it doesn't come down to party preference. It comes down to what policies do and are they inflationary or not? So from that perspective, um, you know, it used to be <laughs> Democrats were, were physically uh, loose and, con and, and Republicans were, were physically conservative. Well, since say like 2020 or so or 2000 or so, they both love spending money. Everyone loves giving money away. Until we stop that, it's gonna be hard to kind of stem the tide when we keep uh, funding projects that we don't have money for. Yeah, and, and last thing I'll say on that is 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 traditionally uh, housing has done fairly well when um, Republican president is in office and kind of adversely on on the other side. So uh, it'll be interesting, nonetheless. Uh, there's a lot more going on than just that at the moment, which obviously plays into the bigger picture. And uh, you know, we need inflation. Inflation. And we need inflation down. That's that's the big the big thing at the moment. And Jeb, sort of to, to circle back on it, does it does it matter um, what party is in control? Going back to to say mid '90s, and all time, both parties want their constituents to be prosperous. Housing has been prioritized, and some would say subsidized to spread that prosperity. Nothing's going to change about that. You know, both both parties would like to bolster home ownership as much as possible. It's just where does that fall in with the other priorities? Good stuff. All right. So let's move along here. Um, Foda, uh, I guess. Can you say something about New York City market? Don't know it well enough to comment on it. I wouldn't be your guy. If you need somebody, happy to make that referral. I'll throw a link up here in just a minute to get you in touch if you want to have that conversation. Keisha says, uh, looking and buying a new construction home to move into a better school district for my daughter. Law enforcement officer. So thank you for, for that. Uh, do you know any loan incentives for law enforcement officers? So are there any special programs? This is the question we get oftentimes, not only for law, enfor for law enforcement, but also for teachers, that sort of thing. So is there a blanket program for these types of people or is it more state local programs that, that where these people can get some some assistance or program or it's going to be state state and local the one that i do know on a national level is in the current market is not helpful um hud has an officer next door program 
where they would allow law enforcement to buy homes from HUD. So meaning FHA foreclosures, they would sell them to law enforcement for $100, $100 down and they would give you a big discount on the price as well. Um, there were strings attached to that in that they wanted you to live in the property for a period of time. They wanted to see a squad car sitting in the driveway um, to sort of help some of these underserved and neglected areas. So they do exist, they are out there. Um, check with the, the county where you're at, check with HUD, check with, um, I, I wouldn't even really say lenders or banks because they're not made, those decisions aren't made at that level. Um, maybe HR with, uh, with the department that you're at and see if they can point you in any direction because with the HUD homes, there's just not a lot of them out there right now. But Google, no. Google the officer next door program. Good, good stuff. There we go. Um, let's go here. We're going to go into a couple more. This is a good one. Uh, VAR watch. Is there a prepayment penalty on mortgage loans? Um, the answer is no, uh, there's not um, at the moment. Uh, <laughs> those, those are things that got taken away with Dodd-Frank, I believe, back in post-2008. Get, you, was Dodd Frank? You got can, rid of that. Yeah, yeah. You can have a loan with a prepayment penalty. It doesn't fall under the qualified mortgage guidelines. So the vast majority of of lenders want the protections of having a qualified mortgage, so they don't have prepayment penalties. Okay, so a, so a, so a QM non QM loan, they can have prepayments. Is that right? QM loan can't have prepayment penalty. Okay, gotcha. Um, so the majority of loans aren't there out there aren't going to have it, but it sounds like possible that you do, but the majority of people getting financing over the last couple of years have no prepayment penalty. Do you think the recent push back to the office full-time will contribute to the housing market going down? Josh, any feelings on this? We talk about it every week. There's companies coming out every week saying we're mandating employees to come back to the office. What are your thoughts? It's a really interesting question. I go back to, I don't think it's going to make a big impact because I don't think there were a lot of people who were worried about being called back into the office that were taking their income and moving to another part of the country. I think most of the people that did that were very confident that they would continue to be able to work remotely permanently. I guess the, the bigger thing would be that's additional demand in markets that didn't previously have it. If most of those people have already moved, how, many, how much more population growth do we have for the Boise's and the Austin's and the Salt Lake cities of the world? Areas that are really pretty, have a lot of natural beauty that are not inner city, like some of the higher priced areas. Um, I, I don't know that we're gonna have a lot of additional influx of demand. So certainly that supply demand imbalance could get thrown off, but I don't think it's necessarily due to people going, oh my God, I gotta sell my house because I gotta go back to San Francisco to get in the office. Good stuff. All right. So I'm going to ask a question right now. Um, would you buy a home if the right one came up today? And these are these are going to be the, the, the answers. It's going to be one for yes, two for not a chance, and three for not in the market right now. And I'm going to post this poll up here in just a minute. I'm actually going to put it where you guys can see it because I'm interested. I just want to know where you guys are with this. Um, let's Let's pull this up here so you can see it. And uh, see what we're looking at here. So this is what the poll looks like. I'd love to just get your thoughts. And so not in the market. I just want to see where our listeners, what what their mindset is. And the not in the market relates back to last week's poll that yeah. we were both kind of surprised that 75% of you already own. I, w I was I was surprised. I would have expected 50-50 at most would be owners. And the other 50% would be people looking to get into the market. Yeah. So right now, what, four, four out of nine people. So I'm going to just kind of leave this running here for a minute as we talk, just to kind of get an idea. Um, and we'll add some other stuff to it. So we got that question that we addressed there. This is a recent one from Turo Man. Um, 
came in early, 533. Sorry there. Uh, sorry there. Recently did a cash out refi. Home didn't appraise for as much as I needed. I gave up my three and a quarter percent for a 5% FHA. Wondering if a HELOC would be good to help clear out the rest of my debt or wait and refi later. So there's a lot going on in that question, Josh. Um, how, how do you approach that question? What questions do you need to ask in order to get a resolution and answer for them? Let's let's actually take it in two parts. Let's answer his question specifically, and then let's talk about that. Just are HELOCs a good idea, and what what are the ramifications of it further down the line? So in, in this situation, if you have enough equity that you can get a HELOC, I, I almost would have preferred if you had done the HELOC in conjunction with the first. Um, so you could have done the conventional with no mortgage insurance and done the HELOC at that time to get all of your debt cleared out. In your specific situation, um, I have two types of borrowers that do cash out to clear debt. The ones that take it as a clean slate and, and run with it and start a new life, and the ones that go get 14 new credit cards and run them back up and use up whatever um, equity they had in their home in terms of jacking up debt. So please don't be that person. If you're going to use home equity to clear out debt, make sure that you move forward with a clean slate and don't spend more than, than what you're making. Um, so at this point, it comes down to cash flow. We're worried um, that we're almost 100% sure to get at least a 75 basis point Fed hike this week, which will directly go towards HELOCs. Um, we're likely to get another 75 next month. Maybe they moderate and only do 50. But in, in literally six to eight weeks, we're going to have another one and a quarter to one and a half, possibly even higher increase in all those HELOCs. So what I, I tell everyone who's considering a home equity line of credit is you have to look at your blended rate. If you have a super low rate on a $100,000 first mortgage and you're going to take out a $150,000 HELOC at seven and a half, that doesn't make any sense. Do a new loan at, at five and three quarters, 6%, whatever you're able to get. But if you're borrowing, you owe $500,000 at, at two and three quarters and you need $50,000 to pay off some debt or do a new kitchen, then that's, that's a very small amount relative to that big fixed mortgage. So you would obviously want to do the HELOC. The last thing to kind of close that loop, most of you are going to want to pay off your HELOC at some point in the future. And that's likely going to come in the form of a refinance. When you go to refinance and you pay off the home equity line of credit, other than jumbo loans, all other lenders are going to consider that cash out. So you're going to get slightly worse terms for doing a cash out loan in the future, even though you're only paying off your first and your HELOC. So it's something to be aware of and it's something that your lender should be able to walk you through. These are not difficult calculations and they should be able to show you, here's what the options are. And again, numbers never lie. You'll look at one and go, that's the right answer for me. Good stuff. Uh, got my cousin watching from North Carolina. Saying good stuff. Look at that. I didn't. Hey, you transcends, showed, you transcends generations. You showed the map. I didn't see anyone in Carolina. Eh, he's on Facebook. That's why he's watching from Facebook. That's why. Uh, not YouTube. But at the moment, there are 274 people watching. If you haven't already, do me a favor. Hit the thumbs up on whatever platform you're watching. It helps the algorithm. Helps more people see it. Helps us accomplish our goal of helping educate people that are out there looking and not getting caught up in the headlines and all that good stuff that goes along with it. Um, yeah, so I appreciate you guys. Platinum black. I want to buy and relocate to OC in late June at the earliest. So we're talking a year out. At what point should I seriously start looking, making offers on a house? So again, you're eight months, no, 10 months out at this point, right? Somewhere in there, 10 months. 
Uh, I would say that probably closer to April, April is March, April next year um, is when you should really start probably looking. I would say April, um, just depending on what the market's doing is when you would start focusing on it. And I think anything sooner than that's crazy. And that might even be too soon, depending on what the market's doing at that time. So I would say reach back out when you get closer and uh, we'll help guide you through that process. Uh, there was another question there, Josh, I saw. Um, can you explain points for a mortgage and how they work? So this is funny. And we, we talked earlier about us in the industry think that things are simple and everyone knows them. And I get this question all the time. Okay, so I pay a point. How much is a point? You're like, duh, it's 1%. A point is 1% of the loan amount. But obviously, no one outside of the mortgage and real estate industry knows that. So a point is 1% of the loan amount, and you can have fractions of points. You can pay a half of a point. You can pay one and a half points. You could pay three points. A point is simply a percentage of the loan amount. And what it is, is it's a yield adjuster. Essentially, the lender on any given day, let's say today the number is 6%. Lender says, I will loan people money at 6%. If you're willing to pay them up front, they're collecting essentially some of their interest early, so they will give you a lower interest rate. So in essence, if you wanted to five and three quarters, generally the rule of thumb, and this is not hard and fast, especially in the current market, rate sheets look really crazy for a million different reasons. But in a, in a stable market, generally paying one point, one percentage of the loan amount will reduce your interest rate by a quarter of a percent. So you're having to come up with more money at closing, but you're gonna pay less every month. And if, that ratio holds true, 1%, uh, 1 point to a quarter percent in the interest rate, you're out about five years before you have your break even. And the reason why lenders are willing to do that is they know that when they make 10,000 loans, on average, they're all gonna be paid off somewhere between four and seven years. So there's a little risk to them, but not a lot of risk. It also can work in the opposite direction. If you don't have enough money to close and you're willing to pay a little bit more on a monthly basis, you can go up and say, I'll take six and a quarter and in this situation, you're going up a quarter percent, they'd pay you 1% of the loan amount that you can use towards your closing costs and prepaids to reduce your cash to close. So hopefully that helps close the loop, but it's 1% of the loan amount. It's a yield adjuster. If you're willing to pay it up front, you'll get a lower rate. If you want them to pay it to you at closing, you get a higher rate and a higher monthly payment. Good, 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 good. Um, all right. Ed's got a question here. Ed says, what if your house is paid for? and getting a line of credit to buy a rental property or pay cash. So um, I guess if you kind of a two part question there, if you're if you're getting a, an equity line to buy a rental property, that's that's going to be different than paying cash. But I think anytime that you're buying a rental property, you got to think of two things, right? I mean, we talk about these all the time. Are you looking for a property for appreciation? Or are you looking for a property for cash flow? Everybody wants both. But in, in theory, depending on your market, it's, it's hard to get both unless you're doing, doing short-term rentals. And, and that's questionable because the market can change in, in some of those areas. So for example, California, very easy to get appreciation. You know, Historically, you look at the market, the last 60 or so years, homes have gone up about 7% or so. Um, whereas Eastern North Carolina, where I'm from, homes don't appreciate at 7% a year. You might get a couple percent a year. You might have a couple of years where home prices don't move at all. Um, so, but cash flow is, is, is important in those, in, you know, in those scenarios. So you got to see what you're trying to accomplish. Um, and with regards to taking the equity line, if you're pulling cash from a property to, to go in and buy that rental property, 
how much is your payment going up on that equity line versus the property that you're buying? What What's it bringing in? Is that difference? Are you comfortable with that difference, right? Is that enough money for it to make sense for you? And then if you're going to pay cash for it, you know, what's your return on that cash? What's your cash on cash return? Um, and does it make sense? How long is it going to take you to recoup those that cash? I mean, those are all things that I'd be asking if I, if I was considering buying a rental property, um, regardless of whether I was pulling it from from another property or having the cash to pay it up front. It's, it's all about return. Josh, anything you want to add on that? Yeah, a couple of thoughts are a little bit different. I agree with everything that you said, but the benefit would be if you get a line of credit, you can make a cash offer. You're going to show, here's my line of credit. I've got $300,000 line of credit and I'm buying a $200,000 house. All they want to know is you don't got to ask anybody. You can request a wire and the $200,000 goes over there. If you did that, I would be inclined to then take out what's called delayed financing to put permanent financing on that house, which will have a lower interest rate than the HELOC, is not variable like the HELOC, and it's tied to a rental property. If heaven forbid something went sideways and you lose a home, you don't want to lose your residence and get stuck with the rental. You'd rather lose the rental and have your home free and clear like you have it now. And the other benefit is if you did that, you have now replenished your home equity line of credit, you could buy another rental if you wanted to. So just just some additional thoughts. There's no right or wrong on this, but just some ideas. Now, and he's looking at, it looks like cash flow um, in Myrtle Beach, right? So Myrtle Beach has blown up over the last, you know, decade or so with regards to people wanting to move there. Well, probably a lot of short-term rentals, a lot of opportunities. So hopefully that was helpful, Ed. Um, well, here, before we move on, we have a, yeah. a user-generated answer. Line yep. of credit HELOC for the down payment only then finance the rest as an investment mortgage. You can do that as well. It's not going to give you as much leverage on the purchase of being able to say I'm a cash buyer, but you can essentially do 100% financing by getting that first mortgage and coming in with the down with the HELOC off of your property. Good stuff. Um, let's go. Let's go. Try to try to find something different. Um, uh, I mean, do we want to go here? I mean, yeah. Okay. So uh, Patrick says recently, I was I was quoted recently for a rate, but it was with points. Is it possible to forego the points for a higher rate, or is that a bad idea? So what I would say to begin with is sometimes. It's not possible to go higher because your debt to income ratio is maxed out. And right, part of them qualifying might mean, hey, listen, you need to buy down, you know, you need to pay points to buy down the rate so that we can actually qualify you and get you into this house. Now, in a normal scenario, if if qualification, if the debt to income ratio isn't maxed out for whatever reason, yeah, absolutely. You can forego points um, and take a higher interest rate. But what are your thoughts on that in this market, Josh? Do you do you buy down to a lower rate or I know your answer, but do you think there's an opportunity in the future for possibly lower rates um, and you can refinance? So I absolutely believe there's going to be a good opportunity to get a lower rate in the future. So just based off of that, my answer would be absolutely. Go zero points and take a higher rate. But if you remember when we were just talking about points that the general rule of thumb is that one point will get you a quarter lower. And if you want the lender to cover a point for you, um, you would have to go a point higher or a quarter point higher. Well, we're seeing that blown way out. Lenders with rates this high, they don't believe these loans are going to stay on the books for the five, six, seven years it takes for them to recoup the money that they're paying out. So to get- And, and how are you getting to that conclusion, Josh? 
because of the way they're setting up the rate sheet. They're telling you that instead of increasing the rate a quarter of a percent to get a one point rebate, you're raising it a half or sometimes three quarters of a percent. So they're saying, cool, we'll, we'll give you a point at closing. Um, but, and, but, and, but hold on, before you get in, I, I want you to explain to, to the person listening what that, I mean, I understand what you're saying, that, that that point is costing way more money than it normally should to buy down that rate. But translate that to the consumer, like help them understand wh like what is normal and why is this abnormal and how you're getting to that thought. Because I think that part is helpful. If, the, if you're getting, let's use a simple round number, a $200,000 loan, and you want uh, a one point credit from the lender. So you say, hey, I'll take a quarter percent higher rate. They're actually loaning you $202,000. They're getting a slightly higher interest rate, but you only owe them 200. So maybe in that instance, the payment's $20 more a month. Let's say 12 months from now, that rates are a percent lower and you go and you refinance. They got 12 months of $20 extra. So they recouped $240, but they gave you $2,000. So they don't like that idea. So they're saying, I'm going to make sure that if I'm giving someone a credit, giving, paying them points at closing, that I'm going to recoup it pretty darn quickly. So we're going to give you a higher interest rate than what you normally would have. And they're also doing the same thing on the flip side. It is better for them to have you pay them a point so they make some money off that loan. Um, so we're seeing in a lot of situations that uh, a rate at 5.625 or 5.125, depending on where we're at on any given day, like a point will get you down close to a half percent. So I don't hardly ever quote loans with points in the last two, three months, it makes all the sense in the world because it's like a 24 month break even, a 20 month break even in a lot of these situations. And we don't know, I believe rates are going to go lower in the near term future, 12, 24, 36 months, but we don't know that to be a fact. So if we know that if rates never got better, you pay this point, if you're able to, you're gonna benefit for the remaining 28 years of the loan, then it can make sense. And just honestly, we talked about that whole 80-20 thing with loan officers. Most loan officers don't understand this. Most loan officers don't look at the rate sheet and realize, hey, the rule of thumb doesn't apply now. I can pay a point and get a much lower interest rate. So you need to be making sure that you're working with someone that can explain this to you, can pencil it out in a spreadsheet or other presentation software where you can see the cost over time of each of these options and know which is best for you. No, good stuff. And this was the second part of his question, Josh. Anything or a separate question, but it kind of goes a little bit deeper on asking about refinancing down the road. Is there anything more you want to address on that or do you feel like you it got it all out? It just comes down to your comfort level. I have watched and analyzed interest rates for 27 years. I am quite comfortable making that bet. You may not be, and that doesn't mean you're wrong. It doesn't mean I'm right just because I've watched rates for 27 years. It means that I'm comfortable making that bet. You have to decide for yourself. Um, for the most part, I think there's going to be a really good refinancing opportunity in the next one to three years, and I would keep cash to close as low as possible at closing right now as long as you're still comfortable with the payment, you still qualify, and it doesn't limit your purchasing power. Good stuff. A million ways says, what's your opinion on using a HELOC for an ADU? Uh, I think it's, it's it, ADUs add value um, to properties. The question is, how much value do they add? And I think that's something that's very, very difficult to determine. Um, I will tell you as a listing agent, it's something that people often ask me, hey, listen, if I add an ADU here, what does that do to my value? It's hard because 
you you can't say, well, that you spend a hundred thousand dollars on that ADU, your house is now worth a hundred thousand dollars more. It doesn't really work like that. It's, you know, how big is the lot? How, you know, what does that ADU consist of? You know, is it a two bedroom? Is it one bedroom? How many square feet? There's so many things that go into it. And then you've really got to take something and be able to compare it to it to really figure out, hey, what is what is this selling for? A lot of times what I'll what I'll say is it really comes down to perceived value. What does someone see the value in that as? Right. If I'm buying a home and my mother-in-law has got to live with me, I really like this house, really like this location. She needs you know, I need a place for her to stay and, and the ADU is it, I might be willing to pay a little bit more for that than, than what the market's bearing. Um, and, and we're getting deep on this, but to end the answer, I think there is value in it. Um, it just really comes down to, you know, how much is that HELOC going to cost you per month to build that ADU? Um, and are you renting that ADU out and making money on it? Is it for personal use? What's, what's, what are you trying to accomplish? Um, and as long as you're comfortable with it, I, I think you're adding value to your home, right? It would be like, hey, Jeb, should I do a HELOC and do an addition? I think that's a smarter move than probably trying to go out and find a new home in this environment just because you keep your tax bases low. You, I mean, there are, there are benefits to it. But again, to each his own and this sort of thing. Anything you want to add on that, Josh? No, it comes down to numbers and it's a little bit more complex. It's easy. We talk about numbers never lie. It's very easy for me to spend a couple minutes here on my computer and run some numbers for you. I don't like that question. <laughs> this, is, this is great. That's so this is great. So Je oh. Jennifer, Jennifer gave us $20 and Jennifer says, what channel can we find content from you and your team, Josh? Go ahead and answer, Jeb. He can't. He can't provide a link because Josh is in paralysis analysis. Analysis paralysis. That's the other what way these around. guys pay me for. Analysis. He is. He's caught up in his own head and not willing to film anything. That's that's the easy answer. So we're trying to get him off the fence in order to start a channel. So hopefully, we can do that here soon. Josh, we're not gonna. We're gonna here's the deal, though. Here's the real thing. He's going to owe me a thousand dollars real soon for my bet we made. We're gonna we're gonna have to double or nothing. We'll run it. We'll run a, a mile. <laughs> I will. For, I'm actually we'll, willing we'll run to run a double. timed mile for double. But anyway, we're gonna move along. Um, Sue says, "Hey, I'm buying a house soon. I waived appraisal. Was it a bad idea to do so?" Josh, what are your thoughts on waiving an appraisal? Most homes are not getting such bidding wars that it's necessary. But if you felt like you had to, and you wanted that property. Um, I don't feel like the appraisal is all that important in, in this sense. So don't, don't get me wrong. What we, when we went through this question, when people this time last year, bidding wars, we were saying, I, I overpaid. Well, you didn't overpay. You paid above what the appraisal practices allowed the appraiser to appraise it for, but there were 20 other people willing to pay that price and the next home is going to be the same. And now there will be a competent would appraise for that. So um, if it's a home that you felt like you had to do that to win the bidding and it was a home that you valued to that degree, then it's not a mistake. If you don't love that home and you feel like you got pushed or bullied into something, then maybe. But for the most part, I think you're fine. Good stuff. Um, let's see here. We got BB. Um, Big Brother? No. 
I think we've talked to BB before off air, but uh, says, where can I find data on single family homes for time period between 2007 to current to compare markets in different zip code areas like Elisa Viejo versus the villages in Florida? That's the giveaway for me that we've had the conversation. So there's not, I'm not aware of any place that you can really pull that data. I can do it from the MLS, um, but I'm not aware of a site where you can actually pull that data off. You might be, I mean, you could do it, but it would require a lot of work and a lot of um, information to go way back. And, and quite frankly, I'm not even sure if those online websites have the data um, in, in detail from, from back then. So unfortunately, not really an easy way to do it that I'm aware of. Uh, Josh, what is the max you can buy to lower a rate? Is there a max? There, in theory, there's not, but... Um... Any discount points, the points you're paying to discount the rate have to be bona fide discount points. And you get into interpretations of the way the law was written and a lot of lenders will end up limiting it. So um, it, I'm not trying to avoid the question, but if you thought you wanted to pay a bunch of points to buy the rate down, check with your lender and find out if they can do it in a compliant way. Um, what I can say is if I pull up a rate sheet right now, the lowest rates on the rate sheet are like five and six points cost. So it's there. It's just, can we do it in a legally compliant way? Good stuff. Bad instincts. YouTube says Zillow has charts. So you might be able to find it on there. Um, I'm not familiar with the charts that they have, but there, there might be some information out there for you. Just, just to follow up on that question from a moment ago. Uh, let's see here. I saw something. Um, you got a super chat, brother. Yeah, we got a super chat from Vandi used funds from a line of credit for earnest deposit. Is that an issue for HOA lender has not commented yet. So Josh, what's going to have to happen in this scenario? Um, are they going to have to prove where the funds came from? It, yes, they're going to ask where it came from and unsecured borrowed funds are not acceptable. So if it were a secured line of credit, so if you own another property and it's a line of credit against it, totally fine. Um, if it's a personal line of credit, then we have an issue. We can't borrow money, um, uh, unsecured borrowed funds for the down and closing costs. Good stuff. All right. Um, let's see here. Boy, trying to get some uh, rum. Raven asked a question earlier. Sorry, I saw it. Meant to click on it. Didn't. Again, I don't even know if that's the name. You should, we need to know what the RVN stands for on this thing to see if we're just even even close to what your actual uh, username is. Uh, but what's the market like around the wildfire hazardous areas of California? Honestly, I'm not uh, that familiar with a lot of those markets. I mean, we have some has you know, I guess wildfire areas around us. Um, they continue to sell, uh, you know, they, they're a concern for some buyers because insurance is higher because of the possibility of wildfires happening. I don't necessarily sell a lot of properties in those markets, so I'm less familiar with it. Um, but I would say they're always going to have buyers that, that want them. And you're always going to have buyers that say, not a chance I'm doing that. Cause I don't want to have to deal with that. So I don't know of anything uh, specifically happening in those areas. And fortunately, knock on wood, we haven't had a ton of wildfires this year so far. Hopefully that's not a, um, you know, a precursor of something more to come. Uh, we did have one out, I believe, in Hemet um, recently. But outside of that, it's been somewhat tame. As they're, you know, happening, it becomes more of a concern. But, you know, it's it's usually only a couple of months a year that that it's that's a concern here. 
So. Here's the thing that I would say, Jeb, more and more areas are impacted. Um, I have a client right now buying down in Escondido and it's not a high hazard area, but it, we're talking $270 a month for homeowner's insurance when normally we'd expect 125, 150 for a similar home. Um, had a client buy out near Magic Mountain. And again, the, these are like areas that, yeah, they're hillsides and there's some brush, but areas that we didn't generally think of. So I am very careful with clients when I know they're shopping anywhere in, in hillside areas, areas that I wouldn't normally think of a wildfire hazard area. We want them to get their insurance quotes up front and have their agent help them with that while they're shopping if they're tight on the debt to income ratio. All right. Uh, Bad Instinct says, uh, can you remind me what markets we are in? So Josh and I are both in Huntington Beach, California. So Southern California, Orange County, more specifically. Um, that's where we're at. Uh, Bandit, we killed Bandit last week, but he's back. <laughs> no, not, he's back. He did, I know he decided not to do uh, not to do the shots this week for the good stuff. So that was that was smart on, uh, on uh, his part. Let's see here. What do we got? What do we got? Uh, do we want to do, you know, we've talked about that a little bit here. Let's just, I mean, I think this is a question that people probably at the beginning miss, but let's talk about it. Next rate hike looks to be angling anywhere from 75 basis points to hundred basis points. Any changes, updates to mortgage rates, updates for 2023. So Josh, I think both of us are kind of in this state of un, unknown, unsure of, of direction. Um, you have somebody you follow following some, some, uh, you know, uh, what, some some Elliott wave theory Elliott wave theory I was looking for um technical technical analysis that's what I was going for couldn't think of the word I don't know getting old man um so what are your thoughts 75 basis points 100 basis points at least I think 75 is is I would say 100% baked in nothing's ever 100% but 75 basis points pretty high I think there's also a high likelihood because of inflation that they think they can go 100 I think both are good possibilities. With that said, Josh, what happens to rates if that happens? I, I think that, that what the Fed does next week is, is basically been accounted for and, and rates are continuing to inch up day by day. So if that happens, then we're, we're knowing they're still continuing to price that in. I go back to this isn't the first time we've been here. So back in June, we hit about the same level here uh, on the 10 year and when we were getting to that level, the technical analysis said we have support at around 348. And if we blow through that, it's 365. And if we blow through that, there's not support for a long, long time. And when you say 345, 368, we're talking about the 10-year. The 10-year treasury. And yep. we are pushing up right back to that 348 level. That would be a double top. So we are in an uptrend. I don't need to tell you guys that. But when you have a channel that goes up and we hit the top of that double top, meaning we were there in June and we're here now, most likely what happens is we hit that resistance and come down. It's not guaranteed. If we run through it, then we're looking at another eighth or a quarter worse in rates before we hit support at 365. And if we run through that, we're probably talking another half percent higher from there. So as crazy as it sounds, we're talking about, you know, six, six and a half percent interest rates, depending on the program, we could see another half to 1% higher. So a lot of the questions that you guys ask in here, I've got new construction, it's going to be built at this time. 
Well, at the beginning of the year, builders would say, hey, we can do a 90-day lock. We can do a 180-day lock. Now they're realizing that they have to offer these really long-term locks. I just got an email from a client that's done four loans with us. They're in contract to buy a home that's going to close next May. And he says, hey, I just locked with the builder's lender through May. Let's talk in March and let's figure out where the market is at and see what that looks like. So any of you who are in these longer term transactions and you're any transaction, whether it's gonna close in 60 days or six months, lock your interest rate. Um, I, I hope that 348 is gonna hold. It held in June and we saw a nice recovery off of that. I could absolutely see that happening, but we also could blow through it. And, and if we do, uh, it won't be a good thing for rates and it won't be a good thing for home sales volume. I don't think it's gonna be a huge impact to home prices because again, it's just gonna be more lock-in for sellers to say, Nah, I'm out. I'm going to hang out at my house. So uh, it's there's there's no solid answer. Normally, I don't like giving wishy-washy answers. I told you guys 12, 24, 36 months out, rates are significantly lower than they are right now. But in the near-term future, there's some risk to the upside. Good stuff. Uh, Maddie said with the $10 super chat, thank you, Matt, um, says looking forward to you helping me find my next home and wife. So for you, you guys that missed it earlier, this is now a, a chat for hooking up people that can't buy a loan because of affordability issue. Rates are high. I'm I'm now pairing you with a partner, um, man, female, whatever, non-binary, whatever you want to be, in order to help your income out so you guys can qualify to buy a home. You don't even have to like each other. We're just going to hook you up, going to make it happen. It's all good, good stuff. So um, that's what Matt's talking about. And, uh, we appreciate you, Matt. Thanks, man. Um, so this is probably one of the better comments we've gotten in a while, quite frankly. Um, bad instinct says, don't you guys find it very fascinating that everyone is expecting a crash, either stocks, real estate, bonds, or something. When have the majority ever been right before? I, I 100% agree with that. Um, now, the reason that I don't believe a crash is coming isn't because everybody on the other side thinks it. Um, I more believe in the fundamentals of the market and um, supply and demand and all of the things that uh, basic economics. But nevertheless, I, I also agree with with what you have to say there. Jeb, we, we, we can we can end the show. We have the comment, not oh, just of, oh, of the show, we Let's we have the comment of the year. Oh, we do. Wesley changed his profile picture for the partner program. He needs an investment property. There we go. Look at that. Wesley coming in strong. We got, we got to set up profiles now. Yeah. So you you got to have you a pro. You got to have your profile picture on here, guys. We're hooking you, can, you up. We get your picture. We need to know your income, your FICO score, and how much you have available. Yeah, for you the guys town. need to. I'm going to set up a spreadsheet where I have all your information. We're going to be able to pair you guys based on uh, ideally you're in the same market, but maybe it's better if you're not in the same market. That way you don't have to see each other. Uh, Bar wants to get hooked up with Jennifer. So well for residences. Look, this is good. Bar wants to get hooked up with Jennifer. I think. I mean, this is like eHarmony. This, this is, is really good stuff. We're going the right direction with this. Josh. Put another poll up. How much are you guys willing to pay for a monthly subscription to this service? <laughs> Jeb and I are trying to figure out if we can stop selling homes and doing loans. Uh, yeah. Well, we might be. We might stop here soon enough without whether we want to or not, just because <laughs> of where rates are. Maybe we're just maybe we're just chatting all day on YouTube uh, with with rates going up. Uh, this is a good question, though. Uh, Josh says, or James says, Josh, what's the highest DTI you can approve on an FHA loan? Um, he he goes on to ask, uh, can you get an FHA loan with a DTI to go to 45% on a new build that's energy efficient? So 
I think both parts of that question are worth answering because one part actually has nothing to do with, with, with getting that, that DTI or not. So. Yeah. The energy efficient mortgage, um, you can finance energy efficient improvements with your FHA loan, but they don't change the DTI. So 46.99 on your housing to income ratio, 56.99 on your total debt to income ratio. When you factor in autos, credit cards, student loans, any other consumer debt. Gotcha. And what is energy efficiency? Does that have any, does, does the property itself in, in its attributes, if you will, have any bearing on how the lender, the debt to income ratio? Not, not with FHA, um, and and I don't know that it really does for any programs. Lenders will will help because they're all of these loans, FHA, VA, USDA, and quasi government institutions, Fannie and Freddie. Um, they're the government. They want to, uh, you know, incentivize people to do these energy efficient improvements, whether it's double pane windows, a better energy efficient roof, new appliances that are not putting as much strain on the energy grid, especially here in California, where we've concluded we don't need energy. You just tell people to buy their electric cars, but don't charge them. So um, it's we get weird incentives, but it doesn't change your debt to income ratio. That's good. Good. Uh, we got Lori saying e house money, house money. Is, it could be our maybe it's e house money e house money instead of e harmony I like yeah. it that's where we're going um, so so Seth brings up a concern that a lot of people have it says besides rates going up how about the higher rates causing pressure on unemployment which will force more sellers to come to market regardless of rates locked in by recent buyers so um, I, I feel like that's a reasonable thing to to consider but I guess when I hear that question Josh and I'll throw it your way in a second is people have to have shelter. Um, so they either have to stay where they are and make it work. They have to figure it out and, or they have to go and likely rent something that's less attractive than what they currently have. And maybe that's what they have to do for the same amount of money that they're renting in some markets. Maybe they save a little bit, but are they saving enough to, to, to have to sell their property? In my experience in my, what I think is that people get rid of everything else and they keep the shelter because they have to have the house. But let's say unemployment doubles, right? Goes to six and a half percent. We talked about this today, Josh. I've got, I've got, the, I've got the numbers right here. You want me yeah, to go unemployment? Yeah, unemployment was was in in two thousand and eight was was double digits. So let's almost let's talk about. It. Yeah. yeah. So, so at, in 2008, infl uh, unemployment got to almost 12%. We've talked about it. Um, lower income rates and renters were more impacted than homeowners, but homeowners were certainly impacted. But I, I hate this, that they used a, uh, 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 an abbreviation here. So it's the RSM has some calculations. So to reach the 3% base case in terms of PCE, the economy would have to shed 1.7 million jobs, which would get you to a 4.6% unemployment rate. This unemployment rate would be close to the natural rate of unemployment forecasted by the CBO at 4.4%. Another reason why we think this base case is more manageable for the Fed without pushing the economy into a severe recession. To reach the Fed's long-term target, which is 2% inflation, the cost would be much higher 5.3 million jobs and a 6.7% unemployment rate. So these guys who are smarter than I am and, and have gone through the calculations say a 6.7% unemployment rate would get us back to 2% inflation would lower rates considerably. So it's a good question. People smarter than me have already gone ahead and answered it and said, if you got anywhere near that level of unemployment, it's going to kill inflation. So inflation is not going to cause a level of employment, unemployment that would cause problems to housing. They're sort of all self-correcting. Got it. 
Um, yeah, so so obviously a lot there. But at the end of the day, we don't know, right? I mean, um, will there be people affected? Absolutely. Will there be people that have to sell? Absolutely. Will there be people that stay put and don't sell their home because of the rate locked in and never make a move? Absolutely. Just don't know. I mean, I guess, as I mentioned earlier in the video, my biggest concern at the moment for the market is if rates stay the same and or go up from here, th that means less sellers, in my opinion, putting their homes on the market. Uh, because but less because they're looking at, at a higher interest rate, right? And they're likely looking at a higher price. Even if prices pull back, they're likely looking at a higher price for a property than they paid for that property, right? I think that's fair to say. And so it's more expensive, substantially more expensive. So you stay put, right? We we already know rents are going up. Look at what happened to to, to the core inflation, right? That that's that was one of the biggest things that happened was rents were higher, and that had an impact. So. Again, Josh and I aren't, you know, wizards here and gurus. It's 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 reading and trying to make sensible decisions out of what we read. But at the end of the day, we're, you know, guessing, uh, you know, just like anybody else. And I think, you know, we get a bad rap sometimes because we're, you know, end up being wrong um, on some of this stuff. But I think, again, I'll, I'll go back to if your principles are there and why you're doing what you're doing, you know, and you have that that you know, five, seven year time horizon. I don't, I don't see any reason why your plan has to be any different, but that's, that's just me. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, Josh, there was a question here that I wanted to get. Uh, oh, bad instinct says, do cap rates go up as interest rates go up? No cap rates typically go down um, because you're paying more to borrow that money. So it's a, it's a higher payment on that money. Um, so your cap rate would actually probably be more affected unless you're putting more money down, in which case it, it doesn't really matter. So Josh, anything, anything you see nope. want to add, want to oh, talk well, about? We have, a, we have a fun question here. Mohammed yep. says when buying a 12 plex, I assume this is a commercial loan. If I have the down payment, do I need to worry about DTI? Yes, but not in the manner that you're used to with a single family residence. We just talked about FHA. You can do 46.99 over 56.99. That is your income your housing payment, your debts. When you're buying 12 units, the most important thing they're looking at is the debt service ratio. It's a different way of looking at DTI. They're saying this is an investment that needs to be self-supporting. So what is the rent and what is the ratio of the total rents for all 12 units relative to that payment? And every lender has different tolerances. Some of them want it to be a one and a quarter. Some of them are fine with it being 1.1. Some of them will go down to 0.9. But the lower your debt service coverage ratio, the worse your terms are going to be. And that is because it's more of a risk. It's like a higher debt to income ratio on your home. So is it a debt to income ratio in the way you think of it in a single family residence or a primary residence? No, but yes, there is a number that they're looking at that the property needs to be self-supporting. All right, Josh, did I miss something on this question? Says what? That is crazy. If interest rates go up, don't investors expect to get a higher return. Otherwise they can buy bonds, notes, or something risk-free. So the way I took it is if you're a buyer, an investor trying to buy an investment property, you know, typically speaking, you're not going to get a higher cap rate with higher interest rates. It's actually going to, your cap rate is going to be lower because that loan is going to cost you more money per month. Um, but did I, did I miss something in there? Your so your cap rate is the ratio between the annual rental income produced Correct. relative to the to the market value. So, 
if interest rates go up and values drop, your cap rate would improve. I mean, the interest rates don't directly impact it because we're not factoring in the payment into the calculation. So the only way you're gonna say it's gonna improve the cap rates is if it drives prices down because it's not gonna increase rents unless we say, hey, inflation and higher rates are pushing rents higher. So you have a higher rent yield relative to the value of the property. Oh yeah, there you go. Okay, yep. So it's not, there's not an exact clear thing where you could say this, if this, then that. It, it just depends on the way the market moves and reacts. There you go. Um, let's see here. Uh, Lancaster Turomancism. I'm considering solar since I finally felt my first $500 electric bill due to the AC units. Would that bring any value to the home? Any bad practices or programs to be wary of? So I will tell you, I have biases, right? I'll start by saying that. I have biases. I am against solar. Um just because I feel like for the majority of people out there, it does not make sense. Um, and the reason I say that is because oftentimes people get solar on property and let's just say it's $40,000 or let's just use $40,000 as an example. And oftentimes that payment might be, you know, $250 a month to pay off that solar if you're going to buy it over a 20 year period or whatever the number is. Well, oftentimes people look at that and go, well, that's basically what I was paying in utilities to start with. So I'm it's now I'm just paying it to the 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 solar company and eventually I'm going to have solar. Rarely ever does it make sense where okay, so now you're paying the same as as your utility bill, so you're going to have to wait 20 years to recoup that cost. Well, most of the solar only has a warranty for 10 years. At some point it's going to have cost evolve, you're going to have to replace things. What happens if you have to replace your roof? You didn't have to remove those solar panels, do a new roof, put the solar panels back. There's a lot that goes into it that nobody factors in. Now, in the case that maybe you're saving $25, $30 a month by having it on there, does it really make sense to, to add that to your roof again? Because if you have those things that need to be changed out in the future or something goes wrong, you then have to deal with it. So I don't think you know it makes sense unless your utility bill, again, is five, 600 bucks a month every month. And then the cost of that solar is maybe two or $300 and you're actually saving a couple hundred dollars a month and you can pay it off within a reasonable amount of time, then maybe it makes sense. But most people don't have the utility bills that you're talking about, at least that I'm aware of. Now, Josh, what are your thoughts on it? And also not year round. So cal calculate the entire bill. Um, another thing you can look into, um, I don't know that this can be done, but um, gas and electric companies will generally um, have a, a leveling program where you can volunteer to pay more in the cheap months so that you don't have the $500 one. That's an option relative to the solar, because again, for, for the most part, solar is is a giant boondoggle the numbers rarely pencil out I, I looked at it on my house and my roof is literally the greatest roof in the history of the world for putting solar on and it was like a 27 year break even on that so in that 27 years i'll need a new roof so i have to uninstall the solar put my new roof on put that back on i can have the situation like my neighbor had that for the first two years that theirs was installed they had four different roof leaks where the people were coming out having to repair the inside of their house and repair the outside of the leaks and that is before we talk about the natural resources for these solar panels are primarily coming from north and south america getting shipped by diesel freighter across to china being put together in some of the most polluting factories in the world shipped by diesel freighter back over to us put on top of our houses so if we think we're being green we probably should do a little more research into this 
I think Josh might have some biases as well. Um, so bad practices. Let's just talk about this for a minute. Sometimes you'll get a company that says, cost you nothing. We'll just put them on your house and let and you'll and you'll pay the the electricity back from us. Basically, well, you could pay us instead of the the utility company at a at a lower cost per wattage or whatever they measure it in. To me, same scam. It's they're using your roof at this point to produce electricity. And you think you're saving money, you're not. Um, you know, I, I don't want to crap on anybody in that business. It's a business and maybe there's things I don't understand about it. But from what I do understand, I can't see a world in which it makes sense for the majority of people out there. There we, we go. We just passed, though, here, to draw it full circle, we just passed the Inflation Reduction Act <laughs> that obviously would lead to subsidies for solar for the next 10 years because that's how you reduce inflation. Oh, that's where we are, people. These are the conversations we have daily. If you were only a part of those, this channel would probably be shut down. We need to hire a crew to just follow us around. Goes, no, we those, should those, not. Those guys are insane. Why they is anyone watching them? We couldn't talk about half the stuff we talk about on here. Um, well, let's see. I'm I'm looking for some questions here. Uh, Super, to, Super to Trader has it. a suggestion. Get a small wind turbine and put it on your house. That will help the load. And then you could run your fridge when the new kits. I, I love it. That sounds like a reasonable uh, thing to consider. Um, Patrick had a great comment also pointing out that the geniuses that run our state of California are mandating that all new homes have solar. Yeah, but I thought they just backed off on that. Didn't they just back off on that somehow? I, I thought they put it. like a, a some sort of like stop on solar in California recently, like within the last couple of months. I might be wrong. I, I could be wrong. No, you were reading the headline where they were stopping the subsidies because they were saying that the people with solar were not being fair because they weren't paying their share of the grid. And so the utilities, I stopped following it because our state is insane. There you go. So that's where we're going to wrap it up tonight, guys. Um, been on here almost two hours like we do every Wednesday. Um, I'll ask if you found any value tonight, hit the like button, consider subscribing to the channel. Uh, stay updated again on everything real estate related. Try to touch on things to, to help educate you. We do have a podcast, the educated home buyer. Um, you might find it in, in Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Um, you we won't take, find it on YouTube though. You won't find it on YouTube at the moment. <laughs> uh, so with that being said, uh, you know, check it out. We do a deep dive into specific topics, uh, one day a week, usually on Tuesdays, separate from the show. And then every Friday we transcribe this show into a podcast so you can listen to it in its full form, um, and get the most out of it by listening to it at like hyper speed. Uh, that's typically what I do. I listen to everything on two. So everybody sounds like a chipmunk. So when I hear people speak in person, I'm like, dude, you talk really slow, bro. I was listening to you earlier and you were like, spitting it out now you're not so anyhow that's where we're at josh what do you want to end the show with tonight uh that I, i'm tempted to say the world's going to hell just turtle up and, and buckle in for the ride but that wouldn't be nice or positive so let's just say everything's going to be okay it's always darkest before the dawn and we're all wow. going to be back here next week holding hands and singing songs there we go. So we are back every Wednesday, guys. Catch us live Wednesday at 5. Until then, we appreciate you. Appreciate you being here. Adios. Thanks for listening to The Educated Homebuyer. 
Want to connect with us or to a local expert in your area? Please reach out at theeducatedhomebuyer.com slash expert. If you found any value today, please be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. In addition, we ask that you share it with your friends and subscribe to us on YouTube. And make sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening.